0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who reaches out. You've done so in so many ways, and Lord, you've reached out through your word. Thank you, Lord, for the the pages of scripture which we have, your words that come to us and change our hearts. We pray that that would take place today, cause us to hear, to obey, and to do your will. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to you. To, uh, to get started today, I-, I wanted us to do a-, a little mental exercise. Okay, I'd like you to uh, just take a moment. Recall the various places that you've been in the course of this past week. All the places you've gone. Close your eyes if that's helpful. Maybe it's work, school. Store, church, where have you gone this week? All right, second of all, I want you to also uh, catalog in your mind all the various places you've lived. For some of you, that's, that's a lot. For others of you, maybe there's just one. Okay, you all have been a, a lot of places, haven't you? Good number of places. This morning, uh, as we are looking at the book of Acts again in this uh, series during ordinary time, I want you to pay attention to this phrase today, and that is this, wherever they are going, dot, 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 wherever they are going, that's the phrase. Last week, we, we read through the end of Acts chapter 10, and we heard how Peter preached to Cornelius the centurion and those uh, Gentiles who had gathered in his home in Caesarea. Today, we're covering Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, which means that we've, we've skipped 18 verses. All right, so Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 18, we're passing over today. And the reason we're going to pass over is because it basically recounts what happened in chapter 10. It says how after preaching to Cornelius, Peter went back to Jerusalem, and news of what he had done in Caesarea, uh, had spread. It was controversial. And uh, evidently, the believers in Jerusalem were upset with Peter because in verse 3 of chapter 11, they interrogate him. And they say, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? And then, so Peter has to explain himself, right? And so what he does is he just tells them, what happened? I was in Joppa. I saw a vision. Three men came to me. I went with them to Caesarea. I preached in the centurion's home. And the Holy Spirit fell just like he fell on all of us. And then when the believers in Jerusalem, when they hear his explanation, uh, thankfully they bought it. It was true, but they bought it. And all they say in verse 18 is, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right. Well, it's that verse... Then to the Gentiles also, that God has granted repentance that leads to life. That verse sets up the passage that we are looking at today, which describes how the gospel continued to spread, namely to the Gentiles. Today, we'll read from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. I encourage you to grab a Bible and turn there and follow along. I'm going to go ahead and read that passage again in its entirety, and then we'll get into a bit of exposition this morning. So, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right. This passage, it begins by reminding us how when Stephen was stoned, all of the believers in Jerusalem underwent a major persecution. We saw that at the end of Acts chapter 7, and Luke tells us that at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, after Stephen was killed, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What Luke is telling us now in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, is that when Jews fled Jerusalem, they actually went a lot further than Judea and Samaria. Some went as far as Phoenicia, as Cyprus, and as Antioch in order to get away from the threat to their lives. I want you to go ahead, Tim, if you would, put up the the map there of the region Tried to make the font a little bit bigger for you all. Phoenicia is that area along the coast of the Mediterranean there, just north of Samaria. Cyprus is that island there out in the Mediterranean. And then Antioch is a city that you'll see just north of uh, the region of Syria. In fact, it's the very northern edge of Syria. It's in modern-day Turkey today. So they they were pretty far flung. Now, um, the fact that they made it to all of these places that are, are further away than Judea and Samaria is significant. And the fact that they made it all the way to Antioch is extremely significant. The reason is because Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Right? So you have Rome, number one, Alexandria, number two, Antioch is number three. And the fact that the church was taking hold in Antioch meant that they had access to the largest city that they had so far. Meaning Antioch was a lot bigger than Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not all that big. Now Luke also says that wherever these Jews from Jerusalem are going, wherever they are going, they are preaching Jesus as the Messiah to the Jews who they find in the places where they go. Wherever they're going, they're reaching out. Wherever these Jews are going, they're reaching out. When Jesus told his disciples in, in Matthew 28, what we know as the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples. The Greek phrasing there actually has a participle, and without going into all the the English grammar and syntax, let me just say that it's a better translation to say not go, therefore, and make disciples, but as you are going, therefore, make disciples. As you are going, therefore, make disciples. As you are going, wherever it is you're going and doing what you are doing, reach out to those who do not know me, says Jesus. Now, Luke tells us that these Jews from Jerusalem have been scattered abroad. They're only reaching out to other Jews at this time. And that makes sense because what Luke is doing is he's talking about a period of time between the stoning of Stephen, which was around 31 AD, and Peter's uh, encounter with Cornelius in about 38 AD. It's about seven years. And in that time, it just wasn't clear to them that Gentiles could be saved too. So they're reaching out to Jews. But in verse 20, Luke signals something for us. He signals that there's been a change. He says, Jewish believers from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is Cyrene's all the way off the map there to the west, they come to Antioch and they begin to preach to Hellenists in that city. Now, there have been a few other places in Acts where we've seen that term, Hellenists, and so far, it's been a reference to Greek-speaking Jews, Jews that identified culturally as Greeks. However, Luke is talking here more specifically about Greek-speaking Gentiles. We know that, in part, because of what's happening from the context. All that to say, what this means is that we are catching up in real time in this verse to what has just happened with Peter and Cornelius. Meaning the church is beginning to make a pivot as to how it presents the gospel and to whom it presents the gospel. Something's going on with these Gentiles. And evidently, these Jewish missionaries from Cyprus and Cyrene, they are extremely successful in Antioch. Luke tells us why. He says in verse 21, that the hand of the Lord was with them. Meaning God was approving of what was happening, and a great number of uh, those who believe turned to the Lord. It's great news, of course, right? But if you're the apostles in Jerusalem, you want to verify that what's happening is, is good and right. And so, when Jerusalem hears what's happening in Antioch, they decided to send one of their own to see what's happening, and so they send Barnabas. Now, this same kind of thing has happened already in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans began to believe the gospel, the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John up there to see what was going on. And they ended up laying hands on them. This is the, 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 the story with Simon the magician, if you'll remember. So, so Barnabas is essentially acting as an apostolic envoy from the church in Jerusalem, which has been the capital of, of the church so far. And he's going to Antioch to verify that these believers actually uh, understand the same gospel that Christ gave to the apostles. And so in verse 23, when Barnabas arrives to Antioch and sees how the gospel of grace had permeated these Antiochians, he rejoices. He's grateful. And he also gives them a a very clear directive. Hold fast to that gospel. Hold fast to the Lord. Don't, Don't let it go. Now, verse 24 says that there were a large number of people who became believers there, and perhaps Barnabas just, you know, uh, caused that to increase. Uh, But Barnabas, in that moment, when he sees all of these people coming to faith, especially Gentiles, he decides he needs to go look for Saul. Now, where's Saul? We have to remember back to Acts chapter 9, all right? Saul went to his hometown of Tarsus because his life kept being threatened, namely in Jerusalem and in Damascus. So this is a, a, a familiar theme. People are fleeing for their lives, and yet wherever they're going, they're reaching out. Now, Barnabas is going to, Ant- or to Tarsus to look for Saul and then to bring him to Antioch. And so to get a sense of the timing of this, Saul arrived in Tarsus around 36 AD, all right, about two years before Peter's encounter with Cornelius. Um, we know from the, the account in Galatians chapter 1 that, um, that Saul was there for 10 to 11 years, all right? And that puts Barnabas going to Tarsus about 46 to 47 AD, all right? That's, we'll keep that in our minds for now. The question is, why is Barnabas going to get Saul at all? Like, why is that his thought? I need to go get Saul. And why now? Saul was accessible, evidently, for a decade, Well, there are a number of reasons. Uh, Perhaps the most important reason is that Barnabas is aware. He's he's been the one who defended Saul to to Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. He knows that Saul has a call on his life to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's seen so far, Paul have great success in his preaching. And so I think there's a light bulb going off in Barnabas' head. There's something crazy happening here in Antioch with the Gentiles. Paul needs to be here. All right? So Barnabas goes and he gets Saul, he finds him in Tarsus and he brings him back to Antioch and they stay there for a year. All right, Luke just does this, he just you know, covers uh, large chunks of time in just a sentence. They stay there for a year. What were they doing? They were discipling the new believers, they were catechizing them in the faith, teaching them what it meant to follow Jesus and establishing the church there. And evidently their, their ministry in Antioch is so successful that something happens which never happened before what is that? These followers of Jesus, they get a new name. Christians. Now, what have they been called up to this point, right? What what have they been called? Well, Jews who believed in Jesus, they were called Jews, (laughs) right? And and Gentiles uh, who believed in Jesus were a phenomenon that was only beginning, and they were called Gentiles, The closest thing to a unique name that these believers had was followers of the way. But they were largely known by Jews and Gentiles. But here in Antioch, Christianos, Christian. It's the new name for people who believe in the gospel of Jesus. And it's actually not one that they gave to themselves. It was given to them. And it is probable that it was meant to be derogatory. Because after all, who is their Christ? but a crucified criminal. Nevertheless, it stuck, right? Now, I'll talk about why that's so significant in just a moment, but for now, let's continue on in verse 27, which says that during that year, Saul and Barnabas were discipling the Christians in Antioch. While they were doing that, prophets from Jerusalem came up to Antioch, and we don't know exactly why they came, but there's something that happens while they're there in Antioch, and that is that uh, they, they prophesy They're actually talking about the future. Prophecy isn't always about the future, but here it is. This one prophet named Agabus foretells that there's going to be a famine across the Roman Empire. This is interesting. And Luke tells us in parentheses that this famine ended up taking place in the reign of the emperor Claudius. As if to say, uh, remember, everything I'm telling you guys, my readers, it's happening in real history. It's verifiable. Claudius ruled Rome from 41 AD to 54 AD, and that corresponds to the date we have Saul and Barnabas in Antioch, around 46 or 47 AD. Now, evidently, the famine uh, particularly affected Jerusalem. We know that just because of what's happening here in this passage, but we also know that from from extra-biblical history. The, The Jewish historian, Josephus, actually writes about the famine in Jerusalem. He writes in a book called The Antiquities of the Jews, and I should say Josephus lived during this time. And he says that there's a famine that happens in Jerusalem to quite extreme effect in the years of 46 to 47 AD, approximately. Now, uh, of note to us is not so much that this is a historical famine. We can trust that it is. But what's what's of note to us is that God gives his church advance warning He tells the Antiochians that this is coming. How do they choose to respond to this knowledge? Do they, I mean, they they save up all the extra stuff in their bank accounts so that they'll be fine when it hits? That's not what they do. Instead, they decide that as Christians in Antioch, there is something that compels them to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. If you're about to face a natural disaster, are you likely to give at that moment? You might be likely to hoard at that moment. Verse 29 says that the disciples determined everyone to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. This is fascinating. What on earth made these Antiochian Christians think that this was their responsibility? They don't live in Jerusalem. The apostles live in Jerusalem. Shouldn't the apostles raise funds, use their influence? What does it say that a church in Antioch was giving to a church in Jerusalem? What does it say about the way in which the church was growing and then relating to itself out of that growth? Well, I'm going to share more about that in a moment. I know I keep saying that, but for now... Suffice it to say that this kind of generosity is a hallmark of an authentic church. We saw how generous the Jewish believers in Jerusalem were in Acts chapter 4 with people like Barnabas, selling property to give to the poor, having all things in common. And now we see that same hallmark among Gentiles and Antioch And so it's another evidence, like the Holy Spirit coming, that what God was doing in Antioch was the real deal. It wasn't just believers in name. Now the last thing I want to point out in this passage is this. You might have noticed how in the last four verses of this text, there are the first instances of two new roles in the church. The first role is prophet. Prophets from Jerusalem come up to Antioch. Who are these prophets? Well, they function in a similar way to the prophets of the Old Testament. The Lord speaks to them in a special way so that they might speak to God's people. And this is what we see Agabus doing. Notice that these prophets, they're ministering out of their gifting. They have a gifting of prophecy, and thus they minister in that prophecy. And we're going to see this, uh, this tune, this Uh, Spiritual gifts and prophets therein continue to be mentioned uh, throughout the New Testament. The second role is elder. It's translated elder in the ESV. It is that Greek word presbyteros, which also means presbyter, the presbyters in Jerusalem. Presbyters are those who are shepherding a local congregation. They're doing so alongside the apostles, alongside the deacons. And it's clear from this passage that that role uh, had to do with authority, had to do with governance, Because the church in Antioch, they send funds through Saul and Barnabas to the presbyters in Jerusalem so that they could then distribute to any who had need. Now, based on all of these things, I know what I've done this morning is I've given you a bunch of exposition on details, things that are interesting and important in this passage. But what I would like to do is to try and synthesize, to try and bring out two implications of what's so significant about this passage. So here's the first thing. In these verses, what Luke is telling us is that the church is becoming an inter-ethnic, inter-regional, and interconnected movement. The church is becoming an inter-ethnic, inter-regional, and interconnected movement. Now, here's what I mean by that. Beginning with Acts chapter 10 in the conversion of Cornelius... Luke wants to show us how inter-ethnic things we getting. Followers of Jesus are not just Jews in Judea anymore. They're not even just Jews from the surrounding regions anymore. They are Jews and Gentiles from different nations. And Luke says they form one church. One church. That's inter-ethnic. The church is also becoming interregional. Now, that makes sense, given that they're people from other nations. We would expect that more than one region is involved. But my point is this. The church is no longer just headquartered in Jerusalem anymore. It's not. The church actually adds a new hub in the city of Antioch. And from there, Antioch is going to act like the capital of the mission to the Gentiles. And Jerusalem, like the capital of the mission to the Jews. But Luke is telling us that it's interregional. Finally, Luke tells us that the church is also interconnected. It's interconnected. Which means that although there was a church in Jerusalem, and there was a church in Antioch, there's only one church. There's only one church. We can see that because of the apostolic leadership that's being shared between these two cities. Right? Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then Saul and Barnabas are sent from Antioch to Jerusalem. Between the churches, between the cities, the doctrine and the ethics are the same. They're connected through the missionaries that are being sent out from those places and then returning. And what we even see is that they're partnering through the giving of financial resources. When the Antiochian Christians share their resources with the the Christians in Jerusalem... What it's showing is that Christian unity and Christian generosity now goes across racial and geographical lines in a way that it never has before. And that's something that doesn't change. It continues. So, the church is becoming an inter-ethnic, inter-regional, and interconnected movement. Here's the second implication. The church is becoming something distinct. The church is becoming something distinct. Now, that may seem obvious to you, but here's why I think it's important to call it what it is. From the day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2 up until now, the vast majority of people who believed in Jesus were Jews. They were Jews, Jews who were called Jews. They kept practicing their Jewish faith, they just saw Jesus as the fulfillment of Judaism, which he is. And thus they would continue to go to temple, continue to go to synagogue, continue to keep the law. But as the first decade of the church went by, the Jews who believed in Jesus begin to look less and less like their Jewish countrymen who do not believe in Jesus. Now part of that is because the Jews who did believe in Jesus were being persecuted, right? They were being removed from the temple. They were being removed from the synagogue. They were being kicked out of cities, and thus they spent more and more time together. That's part of it. But their separation from a Jewish religion, which had no place for Jesus as a Messiah, it increased rapidly as Gentiles, starting with Cornelius and company, were being welcomed into their midst without having to keep the law. Think about it. As you start to spend time with Gentile believers who are uncircumcised and eat all kinds of unkosher foods, it becomes impossible for you to keep the law. So what happens is that in Antioch, according to God's uh, revelation, these Jewish and Gentile believers, they form something new, something distinct. Something identified as Christians. And that name, if you'll notice, has no reference to Judaism anymore. Instead, it has a reference just to the Christ that they share in common. That's significant. Now, as we've gone through the book of Acts, it is impossible not to notice how, for the early church, sharing the gospel was a part of everything they did. It just was. They understood that living on mission was an indicative part of their new identity. And so wherever they were going, they were reaching out. Wherever they were going, they were reaching out. And the book of Acts, maybe, maybe most importantly, has so much to offer, but what it says uh, above and beyond is that the mission and outreach of the church are meant to be in everything. In everything. And mission and outreach in everything in the church is for every person who calls themselves a Christian. In fact, the whole narrative of the book of Acts, it moves forward because of mission. There would be no book of Acts without mission. And that's been the case throughout the church's history. The church dies without mission. That's true today. It's true today. And so the point that I want to just make you walk away with is that wherever we are going, we are meant to be reaching out. Right? Nothing's changed. It's the same. We're the same church. Wherever we are going, we are meant to be reaching out. Today, as an Outreach Sunday, we want to give special emphasis to this, and uh, the Book of Acts, it it lends itself pretty well to this sort of thing, right? Well, with the time that remains, what I want to do is I want to invite Jeff Bisgrove to come forward. Jeff is our Outreach uh, Ministry Director. Jeff's going to talk to you about some of the partnerships that we have in this parish, not to say that this is the only thing that makes us missional. It's not, but these are important things, and we want to draw your attention to them today. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Good morning. So today is Outreach Sunday. We have not at our church had one of these for probably about five years. So the whole purpose of this is just to invite you into some of the things that we do at this church to be ambassadors for Jesus along the way as we work our lives right here in Tempe, Arizona, wherever we happen to live so I'm going to talk a little bit about the details in a minute, but before I get started, I just wanted to share my story on the outreach, of the importance of mission. Um, I was not, my mother tr- tried to raise me Christian and failed utterly miserably, and when I was a early teenager, I decided, I rejected it all and uh, decided I very firmly settled on being a Secular humanist scientist and science explained everything, and I didn't need that stuff. And that went along fine for about the next 25 years. And then I got married, and I had kids. So there's a list of things God will use to break through to people. Children are on that list. Um, So in about 2000, my wife and I, with with a toddler and a newborn, decided we would seek out a church. Uh, and in so doing, I encountered Jesus and gave my life to Him, and started to try to follow Him. At the time, my priest said, "Okay, you want to do that? Get out where you are. We lived here, so he sent me to Guadalupe. It's right down the street. It's only about three miles down the street. And we started doing, I started doing some things down there. I started driving a van, picking up kids at places." Um, and taking them to a Saturday morning project, where, a Saturday morning area where they could get fed, do reading, do sports, do things with the kids. So that was my introduction. And, and in there, two things happened that, uh, that really were important for me. Because um, I went down there thinking I was a well-paid manager at Intel. I knew what I was doing. I was going to go down and fix things. And I said two things happened. The first is God showed me very clearly my job was not to fix things. That I couldn't fix anything. So stop doing that. <laughs> and, this, and that just to be there, to be Jesus. And the other thing is I got to know kids and I got to know parents. Um, and that started, in, at least for me, a big transformation in the way I look and act and do things. So I'm a big fan of this doing things as you go along. And what we have after church is the opportunity out in the courtyard for you to talk to some of the partners and some of the people we work with. Um, So some of the people we work with, since we live in Tempe, the first broad area we work with is ASU. We're blessed to live Right next to ASU, ASU is by many accounts the largest university in in the world, in the United States, and Tempe is by far its largest campus with well over 50,000 students. So we are involved with a number of different things to reach the students there. So Emmanuel will be out there for African student forums. He gathers together all the African students. Um, ASU is probably the largest university in the country for international students. So you don't have to go around other countries. The future leaders of those countries are coming and studying just down the street. So uh, we also uh, work with Gene Duerbeck and uh, uh, ASU Graduate Student Fellowship. Um, Ben and Sarah Sanders run what's called C3 Campus Christian Center. It's a building right on Mill, across from Gamage, and it's a sending center into ASU. Forty plus mi- Christian ministries use it to as a as a beachhead into into ASU. Uh, we also work with Inner Varsity, uh, uh, Theo and Cleo, uh, Theo and his and his wife, um, and um, we work with. Uh, last but not least, is uh, our father Ernest Victor runs a church down there, Anglican Campus Fellowship. So they'll be out there. In addition to those, we actually have, we work with Feed My Starving Children, which is a ministry that packages food. The food is sent out to um, ministries around the world, typically third-world countries, and those ministries will use those to feed people while they're doing things to help educate or improve their lives, often in refugee camps and things like that. Um, We also um, have Frontiers. We're blessed with the, we have a number of people in our congregation that work work with Frontiers. Frontiers is an organization that sends missionaries into predominantly Muslim countries. And we have a number of people here who help train and send missionaries. Many of them have been missionaries out in that field as well. There's lots of opportunities to support that. And last uh, is Guadalupe. The Guadalupe work is still going on. Uh, My wife and I work that with our friends in Guadalupe. We run uh, Christian Montessori Preschool down there. uh, That is actually we train teachers from Guadalupe to teach the the students. We also do after-school tutoring. And we work with the families down there on the things that will help work together on to improve their life. We also have, uh, we also are, are trying to launch something around refugees. So Blake will be out there. You can talk to him if you've got some involvement on that. That's not firm yet, but with uh, a, a flush of uh, Afghani refugees coming into the system, um, we're actually anticipating some of them being settled uh, closer to us than traditional refugees, which get settled more in the Camelback Corridor along I 17, which is a little further away for, for us. Um, And and also, and we'll be emailing some things out, there's the opportunity to connect through a conference at uh, Camelback Bible in early November called Mission Connects, which is basically oriented, at, at involving the church in the mission field, locally, internationally, wherever you happen to be going, you can get involved. So... Uh, that was a lot of information. The big thing I want you to know is after service, we will be out there and we can, you can talk to us. And I invite you to come uh, find what God might be putting on your heart and talk to some people about next steps. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you Jeff. I
0: encourage you to, to go out afterwards and uh, to visit with them wherever we are going You're reaching out.